Welcome back, everybody, to the Frogs of War podcast. Thanks for joining us again. I'm Anthony North here with my co-host, Russ Hodges, uh, here to talk all things TCU athletics uh, today on the pod. Sorry we're getting a little late to it this week. Uh, we had some technical difficulties, but we're back in the saddle, ready to go again, giving you some uh, some fun discussion here on all things TCU Um Coming off the the big win against SMU, bringing the Iron Skillet back to Fort Worth and ahead of the Big 12 opener hosting Oklahoma, 11 a.m. ABC, Amon G. Carter Stadium. Hope to see everybody out there this weekend. Um, Before we get into all things football, just a few quick news hits. First thing, uh, TCU soccer back at it, got uh, conference play started last week and got a a draw with Texas at home. Very hard-fought uh, game there. Really tough Texas team. And then uh, picked up a win at Kansas. So Frogs have climbed up to number nine nationally there and will take on Kansas State Friday night. Um, so looking forward to that as the soccer squad um, keeps their push towards a postseason and, and another Big 12 championship. Um other basketball news, Russ, what do we got in basketball? Yeah, we, we have some more preseason hype. Um, I believe Andy Katz uh, put out a, a thing recently that TCU um, could be top 10 in, in the preseason poll. And I know we talked a little bit on the pod last week about the, the hype surrounding TCU basketball, obviously with the uniform drop. Um, but again, with all the guys that are coming back, uh, Mike Miles, Eddie Lampkin, Damian Baugh, obviously we have a, you know, we're still waiting to hear what's going on with that suspension. I, I still believe that it's not going to wind up being anything too crazy. But um, again, even with the guys like Emmanuel Miller and O'Bannon, you bring in Rondell Walker, the transfer from Oklahoma State, who you figure is going to get some time. Uh, PJ Haggerty coming in, just a lot of continuity with the program. So a lot of excitement there. Um, and then uh, just looking at the non-conference schedule, a couple of tough matchups in there, but um, not too much that I think should really trip up the Horn Frogs as they get into the Big 12 schedule. So um, it's going to be here before we know it. You know, obviously, NBA is starting to uh, get back to practice, and preseason will be starting up there shortly. So this 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 fall goes by fast, man. It's kind of hard to believe. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, we're already quarter of the way through TCU's football season. We're already, yeah, just like a month away from basketball seasons tipping off. So, um, and yeah, man, I'm, I'm so excited for this basketball season. It's the hype is out of control, but, uh, it's, it's really exciting to see TCU basketball here on the national stage like this. And, and yeah, with the, uh, in the last week, the big 12 released conference schedules. So we now have kind of the full picture of what TCU schedule will look like. And, um, it's man, the Big Twelve is just such a gauntlet to to go through that double round robin where you play home and home against every other opponent, and everybody is a, is a top team. Everybody's coming into the season with uh, you know Sweet Sixteen or or better dreams, and so yeah, there's there's no nights off in in the Big Twelve basketball, and uh, get started right away with with Texas Tech at home on New Year's Eve. Uh, there's no time announced yet, but I'm kind of hoping it's it's kind of in the evening. So we've got we've got like a big 
exciting uh, event to then go into your your New Year's Eve events uh, for the evening and then right into away at Waco and at Baylor. So those are those are two, I mean, pr- maybe Final Four level teams that, that you get right off the bat to start conference play. Um, it's going to be a tough road, but excited to see what these folks can do with it. Yeah, I mean, you'll... Uh... You get a, a basketball game on New Year's Eve, and then who knows? Maybe you get a TCU football game that same day. If, if things there you go. go well this season, there you, you go. never know. <laughs> I like it. I like the optimism. Uh, we'll see how things go this weekend on on how successful this TCU football season will be. Um, before we get to that, let's let's take a quick look back at uh, the big win in Dallas over SMU. Um, finally the take end the, end the losing streak to the ponies, uh, Sonny Dykes gets to go back into his, his old home and, and take the trophy back from, from the Mustangs and, um, is an exciting game. TCU wins 42, 34, and that score both feels closer than it should have been, uh, watching the game, but then also, SMU had a chance late where where it, it could have gotten dicey there. So uh, I think it's a fair score. Happy to just get out of there with the win, leave non-conference undefeated. Um, but I guess just from, from watching the game, Russ, what, what were your thoughts on some highlight players or plays that really kind of point to TCU football success in this one? Yeah, I think last week we talked about uh, one of the keys to the game being the turnover battle. Um, whichever team forced more turnovers, I felt was going to be the winner. And obviously, a couple interceptions. Uh, Josh Newton gets a huge one late to to help sort of seal that win. Uh, Kenray Miller came out right away, ran the ball super well. I think he had 84 yards rushing on his first three carries, or something like that. And TCU just came out, and they came out and started the game exactly how I hoped they would. Uh, very aggressive, very explosive early on, getting a, a 28-7 lead. Of course, Darius Davis was phenomenal throughout the game, again, continuing a, a really good start to the season. Um, a few penalties hurt TCU in the first half, You know, most of them coming from Trey Tomlinson, who struggled a little with that matchup against Rasheed Rice, but Trying to stop Rasheed Rice is is a challenge. Yeah, absolutely. Um, second half came around. I thought TCU got a little too uh, passive on the offensive end. You had some obvious run calls, some screen passes that never really developed. And they, they sort of allowed SMU to, to come back into the game slowly. But I think the Mustangs also deserve a little bit of credit there. They came out and I think made a much more concerted effort to try and stop the run and set TCU up in some obvious, you know, second and long, third and long passing situations. And TCU gave up some sacks as well. I think it wound up being five or six sacks in the game. I think most of them were, you know, what you'd call a coverage sack when there's just no one open down the field. And- Holding on to the ball too long or, and, and <clears throat> yeah, on that, on that one, I guess, I wonder if there was a, clear directive or, or game plan to limit Duggan's kind of scrambling kind of maybe suggest, Hey, just hang on in there. And if, if the, if the throw isn't there, just take the loss yardage on a sack. 
Um, we didn't really see Duggan let loose like he tends to do where he just kind of escapes out of there and, and takes off running. So I, it, it kind of felt like maybe that was a um, a goal of the game that, that they had given to him of, Hey, take your, take your passes down the field. And if it's not there, uh, you don't, you don't need to go running around and, and try to make it happen through the air. So I, it, yeah, the sacks, I, I wish, yeah, I think also Alana Lee went down in the second half um, and, and had to leave the field for a little bit, um, the center for TCU, the, the SMU transfer, and it, almost immediately it, the the offensive line took a step back, and it, it, set, it felt like right there that was, it, we were hanging in the balance a little bit because the, the, the offense started to stall. Um, but yeah, definitely agree with you there. Um, some of the, some of the highlights for me, I think just that first, that touchdown to Savion Williams, I, I, it's great to see him get involved. Um, it was an excellent play from Duggan kind of rolling out, finding him in the end zone. He makes the grab, um, get that, get the game started, um, with a highlight like that. Um, probably play of the game is the Josh Newton interception and return down like a 30 yard return. That, that was SMU was driving down one score chance to go tie the game. And, and it TCU hadn't really looked all that great all second half. And, and he sets the frogs up right there in scoring position that um, I think that was one that DeMarcado ended up taking in, but uh, it, it, it's hard to remember which ones were DeMarcado and which ones were Miller. They, they both had huge games and, and both, uh, excelled while taking all of the rushing carries, no, no rushes to any other players, which was a bit surprising, but the two of them were, were more than capable handling the load. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think Max Duggan in the, you looked at the stats, I think he wound up with, uh, with minus 11 rushing, uh, which is very, again, un, uncharacteristic, but, uh, Amari Di Mercado came through late. Um, admittedly, I, I haven't been the biggest Amari Di Mercado champion, but he's a sixth-year player. He has a lot of experience. He's a good, tough runner. Um, and the offensive line deserves some credit as well, just for being able to dig deep and, like you said, making some adjustments. I believe Steve Avila moved back to center after Ali went out and they had a couple other guys that were rotated around. And they were able to to buckle down in the run game and get back to what they did well at the start of the game, which was making some big holes. And um, as soon as Di Mercado broke through for that long touchdown at the end, you start, you started to see the fans slowly, but surely begin to file (laughs) out of Gerald J Ford stadium, which uh, can, can we hit on that real quick? Because I know before the game, for sure. um, you know, SMU fans were talking about how it was going to be a sold-out stadium. And it's a sellout. The, there were a lot of videos and, and photos that I had seen online from people who were at the game, uh, folks in the media who were covering the game. And I, I don't know, man. A lot of seats were empty. I don't know if people just bought tickets <laughs> and didn't show up or if maybe some of them were season ticket holders. But they looked pretty empty, man. I, I mean – what did you hear about the the environment in the stadium that day? Yeah, and and shout out to Matthew from our team at Frogs of War. He was there on site and and was giving you guys all the the live tweets from in the stadium. Um, thanks to him, he was he was 
sending some some fun photos out of like oh yeah this this section is pretty much all purple the uh and even right before kickoff like oh the most of the people actually in the stadium it's it's pretty purple so yeah i think tcu fans definitely showed up um smu fans whatever uh, you know however many there are some were there and the ones that were there it seemed like there was a lot of animosity. There was a lot of, you know, they could, the, the players talked about hearing it from the sidelines and that, you know, they were really impressed with, with coach Dykes of, he never turned around. He never got phased. He never uh, kind of let any of that noise get to him, which was, was, was good. And the team didn't either. Um, I think some of the clips from after the game walking out of the stadium were unfortunate that folks were kind of left their trash everywhere. were were throwing you know, empty water bottles at the field. It's as, you know, it's a football game guys. Um, and, <laughs> and coach Dykes, there's the video of him kind of waving off as he's walking off. Like, you know, see you guys. Thanks. See you later. Um, you know, I don't know if he's waving at TCU fans or SMU hecklers or what that was, but that was, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know that, that sellout quote unquote sellout from uh, from SMU was all that much to write home about. I think it was much more, you know, TCU brought a healthy amount of folks there and, and yeah, whatever fans were there were quickly quieted as the first half, just TCU uh, kind of took over. Um, trying to think if there's, you know, we, we, you know, you noted the penalties. That was that was something that was concerning. But is it is it a couple of things? Is it this officiating crew was poor? Um, I think the it, it's easy to to wear your purple glasses and kind of see things through your fan eyes of okay, well that that shouldn't have been a penalty or call it both ways. You know, there were a couple of Quentin Johnston, um, you know contested plays that they didn't call pass interference where they did for rice. Um, he was getting kind of the Michael Jordan treatment out there. And, um, <laughs> and, you know, I don't, I, I'm not too worried about it. Um, you know, I think there are a lot of people getting on Tomlinson of, uh, I saw that a lot on, on social media of, Hey, Trey Tomlinson is supposed to be this all American level, all big 12 level guy. And he's, he's giving up these penalties to uh, to this American team. What's going on here? But, you know, I think Rasheed Rice is a, is a high-level player. He's been torching all opponents all season. He was held like 90 yards below his season average um, uh, against the Frogs. So he was pretty well contained. He did get that touchdown right to near the end of the half that um, – you know, may or may not have been a push off. We'll never know if you were watching on TV that the camera crew at SMU was pretty, pretty atrocious yeah, as well. We that. were never really following the ball. <laughs> it was rough. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think, I think that could have been a push off either way. You know, he gets that touchdown. He gets to celebrate good for him. But I, I thought, I thought Hodges did uh, Hodges Tomlinson did fine there. And we shouldn't, we shouldn't really, take too much from that you know he wasn't really torched rice got his got his catches but a lot of them were contested or you know potential push-offs or 
I don't know. I, I, I think it, I think we're okay in the secondary going forward. Looking forward to you know another top level receiver in Marvin Mims in the Oklahoma offense. Yeah, and I think when when you look back at that SMU game, they're, they're going to go back and watch the film. And I think when you're a, a smaller DB going up against a, a bigger receiver, you know, body positioning is so key. You know, a lot of those penalties that were drawn were. Just from from being too handsy, you know, grabbing a little too much, and of course, a lot of those calls are subjective too with the officiating. But um, it, it really it just comes down to body positioning, anticipation, you know, not being caught behind, um, being able to make a play on the ball and not making a play on the on the body of the receiver before the ball gets there, because then you know flags and come out. So. Those are adjustments I think they'll make, uh, again, like you said, as we go into Oklahoma, which is going to have a much more explosive receiving core and a quarterback in, in Dylan Gabriel, who's off to a very good start, um, 11 touchdown passes without an interception. So they've been very efficient through the air. Um, collectively, I think the the secondary held up pretty well against SMU, especially considering the the front six guys didn't get home too much that's one thing that I was you know I was watching the game with with my dad and you know one thing that he kept saying is you know they they got to find a way to get pressure on the quarterback and you know in a 3-3-5 like we had talked about on the pod last week um, you're relying a little more on your linebackers and even your your DBs to provide some some blitz pressure and it, it felt like a lot of these plays these uh, these blitz plays were sort of slow developing you know you need the secondary to hold up for anywhere from three to four seconds before the guys get home and it it felt like it wasn't happening enough in that game where you know Mordecai did take some hits but it was like they were a step late you know what I mean so I think in in the Oklahoma game uh, TCU's got to find some ways to uh, get creative and pressuring Dylan Gabriel, who's also a playmaker with his legs, too. We can't forget that. He's done that at Central Florida, and, you know, again, he's playing very efficient football to start the season. Yeah, I think that would be the concern there is, you know, uh, Mordecai is is a good athlete, but Dylan Gabriel, I think, is is a next level up where you, you throw too much pressure at him and you kind of run past him and he can, can escape out and and turn on the jets to, to get some first down. So it, yeah, you, you don't want to see them rush with abandon um, recklessly, but yeah, definitely something to watch uh, moving forward is, is how this new defense gets pressure on the quarterback. Um, I guess before we move off the game, have to just give another shout out to Kendra Miller. I mean, a, a dominant, dominant performance, from him, we've been kind of looking for his breakout. A uh, little bit of a slow start to the season, and and he definitely took care of business, ran with with power, with speed, um, and put moves on guys. It, it just seems like a, a, a nightmare to tackle in the open field, um, and you know, really excited to to see him continue to improve and, and take over this lead role um, that, you know, losing, losing Zach Evans, a, a player of that caliber, it hurts. But when you have someone 
as high level as Kendra Miller, um, TCU's been able to pick right up uh, in his absence. Yeah, you know, a player that last couple of years has has always been extremely productive when he's had the opportunities, just never really had the opportunities because of of Zach Evans or whoever else. And and I don't know if you saw the graphic that was uh, shown early in the game with Kendra Miller at 7.08 yards per carry, uh, leading uh, Power 5 schools. And who was number two on the list at 7.07? Zach Evans from from Ole Miss. So, you know, that that comparison is going to stay there, I think, as the season goes on. And and Zach's obviously off to a a very good start with Ole Miss, but um, very confident in, in Kendra Miller. I think fans are confident in him. Coaches are confident in him. And um, you know, Oklahoma is a a team that historically, I think TCU has been able to put up some points against. And if I remember correctly, last year Kenry Miller had a, a pretty solid performance. Uh, Might have gotten banged up in that game, but uh, a player who I think can definitely uh, go off when you consider how well Kansas State ran the ball against the Sooners last week. Deuce Vaughn had over 100 yards, which that's just Deuce Vaughn doing Deuce Vaughn things. But Adrian Martinez as well got into open space multiple times and was able to just run right down the field for a score. So um, excited to see how, how Kenry Miller moves forward and the rest of these running backs as well. Absolutely. So, all right, let's wrap up uh, last week with a uh, quick recap on Big 12 and, and the big national games. So in the Big 12, Thursday night, West Virginia uh, took home the – it's some trophy. Black, Black Diamond? Diamond? Yeah. Black Black Diamond trophy over Virginia Tech. Um, poor Virginia Tech. They're, they're really struggling. So that's a big win for West Virginia to get that kind of – they've been struggling, so so good for them. Um, Kansas took down Duke, so they Kansas just keeps it rolling. There, it's a football school now. That you know, that's so sold out crowd. Uh, I, I think they may have had an so, actual sold out. Crowd. That was a real sellout. Yeah, that was a real. That sellout. was an actual sellout, and and uh, they're sitting one spot out of the top twenty-five in the AP poll. Um, and it's exciting times for for Kansas football. I think it's approaching time to stop thinking of that as like fun and interesting and like kind of scary that they, they might be good this season. And uh, you know, TCU's trip up there to Lawrence later this year um, is going to be a very interesting, actually, is that next week? I think that, may, that it, I don't it, have it the calendar in front week, of me, but yeah. I, and, and, and you know, so, for whatever whew. reason we talked, you know, yesterday we were just, you know, shooting the breeze a little bit. We talked about how, Kansas State seems to just have Oklahoma's matchup. TCU and Kansas always seem to play a close match. It never really seems to matter who's really good or who's really bad. It seems like that one is is always close. I, I believe it was 2015 when TCU went up to to Lawrence and and almost yeah. Lost. Whether it was yeah, it was either 14 or 15. That that game was up there in Lawrence. That was way scarier than it needed to yeah. be. So, and I mean, even last year, um, again, both teams last year were kind of down bad, but a really close game. And no, Kansas, it's it's really, we talked about it last week. It's really encouraging to see. And Jalen Daniels has played exceptionally well 
at the quarterback position. I remember watching him a few years ago uh, when TCU went to to Lawrence and got a, a huge win, and he was a, I think he was starting as a true freshman. This was when Les Miles, I believe, was still coaching there, and they they really struggled. I mean, they were struggling to even get the ball snapped, and it was just you knew there was a lot of work to be had for whichever coaching staff was going to come in. But uh, Jalen Daniels has really developed as a passer, and they run the ball extremely well. They have multiple players, including Jalen Daniels, who can run the ball. So um, not a not a pushover by any stretch. And I think Kansas has an opportunity again now to. Um, to go to five and zero, oh, so you know we'll see what happens. That that might be uh, a yeah, not to, there for TCU <clears throat> next week. Who knows? It, that could be that could be a big top twenty five matchup. Um, so not to tangent too much on this, but looking at a stat of top quarterback rating um, thus far this season in the Power Five, number one is Max Duggan, um, and number six is. Daniels from Kansas, and then number ten is Dylan Gabriel from Oklahoma, um, and actually nine is Spencer Sanders at Oklahoma State. So, uh, a lot of the top QBs in the country right now, performance-wise, playing in the Big Twelve. So, uh, we'll see how that that stands up through the rest of the season. But pretty wild that Max Duggan is sitting atop that list, and then the Kansas quarterback is also on that list. Um, okay, sorry. Moving on to okay that the Horns down. The, this one, pretty crazy game. Texas Tech defeats Texas in overtime, 37-34. to 34. Uh, B. John Robinson, best running back in football, all of that stuff, fumbles in overtime, and Texas Tech hits that field goal to win the game and, and storm the field in, uh, you know, Texas Tech fashion that ended up getting them fined and, you know, might ruin it for everybody that you can't storm fields, but uh, did you get a chance to watch any of this one? That, that was pretty I wild. Did, yeah, it's very, I mean, the last player you expect to fumble is Bijan Robinson, especially on the first, I believe it was the first play from scrimmage in overtime that Texas had. Um, pretty wild how that happened. And then Texas almost scores a touchdown. They get it down. to I think the, the one or two yard line and, and then it cost him 50k after the game, obviously. But yep. uh, that uh, fine, I believe, has already been covered by what was it? One of the there, was it their NIL fund or one of the local banks that covered yeah, the, the yeah. fine? So that's that's chump change for those guys. Um, I don't know how I feel about a team rushing the field against the number 22 in the country, but it is Texas, Texas Tech. So yeah, it's it's fun. Rush the field. It's it's a fun time. Just they, they need they need and it's fun to, to beat do. Texas. I mean anybody they need something to do yeah. over there. Love it, so. Oh yeah. So all right. Next was the uh, Kansas State beat Oklahoma. We talked about that a little bit, and and we'll talk about Oklahoma more coming up. But yeah, the Sooners just couldn't stop Deuce Vaughn again. Uh, couldn't stop Adrian Martinez, um, who very clearly uh, is happy to be away from Nebraska. Um, we can we can move on from that. We've hit that one. Um, Baylor took down Iowa State in Ames, thirty-one to twenty-four. I was I was pretty surprised to see that Iowa State was favored in this game. Baylor, I think, is very clearly a better team than Iowa State. I guess there was a lot of uh, 
value put into the game being played in Ames, mm-hmm. but um, and, and and Baylor hasn't looked super sharp so far this year. Blake Shapin hasn't been um, maybe as good as advertised, but he's rounding into form, and and that's just a that's just a better team than Iowa State at this point. I mean, all all those Cyclone stars are are gone or in the NFL, and it's kind of just left. It's Xavier Hutchinson and and a lot of other guys. Some some funny plays in this game. Like there was there was a Jareel Brock had a fumble into the end zone as he was a, a, going into the end zone. Somehow recovered it before it landed out of bounds for uh, for a touchback. Still, Iowa State loses the game. Um, any other thoughts on Big Twelve? Um, you know, Baylor, Iowa State. I think last week we talked about the potential for that to be a close game, just because Ames sometimes can be a very tough place to play. Um, you know, Iowa State, I think, has defended well to to start the season. They just they had, they turned the ball over a few too many times. Hunter Decker's had two interceptions in that game that that really hurt him. Um, and Kansas State, Oklahoma, Adrian Martinez had really struggled to throw the ball over the first few games has, has been a, a playmaker on the ground. We, that's, you know, nothing new. I, and he showed that in that game, but he, he did enough through the air uh, was very efficient through the air and, and it wound up being a career best performance for him. So uh, really encouraging sign for the Wildcats. If you're a Kansas state fan that uh, he was able to put together a collective performance, not only on the ground, but through the air. And if that's something that can be, replicated moving forward not saying he's gonna go for go off for that many yards and that many touchdowns every week but if you can make enough happen through the air that's going to be huge not only for him running the ball but also for Deuce Vaughn because I think a lot of teams are looking at Kansas State saying Deuce Vaughn is priority one we got to stop him he's a proven big time offensive threat but if they can move the ball through the air consistently as well that adds a whole new dynamic to that offense so All right, some quickly on some national games. Uh, in double overtime, Clemson took down Wake Forest. Really exciting game. Uh, a lot of Aaron Judge cut-ins during this game <laughs> that <laughs> to, to interrupt whatever excitement was happening there. But um, exciting game. And, you know, I think the the demise of DJ Uyungle is maybe exaggerated. He was really good in this game. Sam Hartman on, on Wake Forest side, really good in this game. Um, an exciting back and forth uh, that that Clemson comes away with. And, you know, I, I don't know that they're getting enough credit, Clemson, as this being a big-time win and them as, as a real playoff contender. I think a lot of people are still really down on them, and maybe they're kind of can sleep their way into the playoff later on. But right now I think they're still sitting in like six or seventh on the AP poll. Um, and so I, there's definitely, we're going to hear more from Clemson and they've got a big game this week with, with NC state coming to town. If, if that game gets played with the hurricane. So we'll, we'll see what happens there, but um, exciting one there. Um, what was your did, Russ? You have one uh, specific to talk, talk to on the national games. Um, you know, I'll just hit on uh, Clemson Wake Forest real quick. Uh, another game that I felt last week could be a close one, just because Wake Forest is going to have Sam Hartman back. Um, it's inc- really encouraging to see him play well. Obviously, the the story was 
the heart condition and whether or not he'd even be able to play again. Uh, but they get him back, and uh, DJ Uyagalele really uh, has been struggling with his consistency over the last year or so, but had a huge performance there, and that's that could be something that springboards a player like him for more success in the future because he's always been extremely talented. I mean, the, the heir apparent to Trevor Lawrence and, you know, just has, hasn't. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a heavy burden. That's a heavy crown to wear to, to to try to come in and, and fill in after Trevor Lawrence, after Deshaun Watson. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a big spot and, and it looks like for now he's going to hold off Cade Klubnik from taking his job. So good for him there. Um, I guess just to, to hit on a couple of the big upsets that were surprising, um, I put on here the Boise State losing to UTEP. I, I, poor Boise. I mean, there was – it feels like they've completely fallen off the, oh, this is the team that should be one of the top two or three G5s pushing for that New Year's Six bid. Um, I You know – I don't know that Auburn fans are super happy to have Brian Harson from Boise, but um, I think Boise hasn't done great without him either. Um, just interesting there. And, and, you know, there was a time when Boise was one of TCU's primary rivals. And, oh, yeah. Uh, there was BCS Bowl that rival. uh, 2011. Yeah. And that 2011 game in Boise was one of the most exciting games of all time for, for the frogs. And, um, you know, to, they've kind of really disappeared here, which, you know, they can still come back and, and end up winning the mountain West, but they already have two losses and, and a loss to UTEP is a tough one. And then uh, the Miami hurricanes losing to middle Tennessee mm-hmm. at home, and not just losing, getting just getting absolutely out. boat yeah. raced, just just destroyed by an MTSU team that I think people had kind of determined was terrible because they lost to James Madison, and James Madison just made the move to FCS, but or from FCS. Turns out James Madison is really good, and actually MTSU is is much better than Miami. And it's the kind of thing of like, okay, you brought in you you spent all this money to go fire your coach, get your new coach. And you've got this hotshot quarterback that everybody's talking about for a first round. And uh, just like that coach did with Justin Herbert in Oregon, Tyler Van Dyke seems to be like he's completely lost all of his mojo uh, for the Hurricanes. So I don't don't know if that's a crystal ball thing or if that's just a – I don't know. But they've also totally fallen off the cliff here. Yeah, that's that was a a very discouraging – performance to see if you're a you're a hurricane fan and and we briefly talked last week about some jobs around college football where certain coaches maybe could be on the hot seat uh virginia tech i think is one you know we talked about west virginia going in and and taking that black diamond trophy game 33 to 10 i think virginia tech fans on on twitter are very uh very discouraged with where that program sits right now because we know Virginia Tech has had a lot of success in the past and you know Miami there's of course such a prestige and a level of swagger that that program should have and uh losing to Middle Tennessee State ain't going to do much for that so uh couple couple seats that could be getting a little uh the the burners are being lit under those seats. Yeah, t- two two ACC teams in you know the first few weeks of 
tenures of new coaches and already they're kind of ready to jump ship off of their new coaches. So yeah, it's it, pe- people get uh, upset fast can t- can turn on uh, the the new coach fast. And luckily we haven't had to do that with, with Dykes um, here at TCU that, that picking up three wins and, and feeling pretty good about ourselves going forward. Yep. Only team in Texas that's undefeated right. right now, I believe, right? <clears throat> only, yeah, that's right. The only undefeated Texas team in the state of Texas in the FBS. Um, TC, t- <laughs> you know, part of that is we've only played three games and it's been four weeks. We've already we've already given up our bye week uh, for the Frogs. But um, looking ahead to what's next for TCU, Big Twelve opener, Oklahoma. Um, it's the it's the big ABC game on uh, 11 a.m. Saturday morning, Amon G. Carter Stadium. Yeah, a lot of excitement here. A lot of opportunity for for TCU to really go show that um, this team is is one of the best in the in the conference in the country um, on the national stage. Um, just to hit some things that uh, you know are ask the fans this week. Maybe uh, maybe these questions were a little too easy. I think we got we got runaway victories in some of these. So, um, first question was about our favorite TCU Oklahoma moment. Um, had had the one from the 2005 win, the Paul Dawson pick six in the 14 win, um, and then the exciting turf. Pretty cool turnover plays against Jalen Hurts in 19, and then Quentin Johnston going full Randy Moss mode in 21. Um, yeah, I guess it, it should have been pretty obvious because it's one of the, the biggest moments in, in TCU history, but that that Paul Dawson interception ran away with it there. Um, I, I will just say I, I was a little surprised that there wasn't more love for the 2005 game, maybe just as we get more distance from that one. Um, that game has a little bit of a special place in, in my heart in that I was a senior in high school when that game happened. And I don't know that I end up at TCU if TCU doesn't win that game. Um, you know, I had like filled out the stuff for TCU. I'm from Tennessee. I didn't really know much of TCU. I didn't know anything of it. Um, TCU wins that game over Adrian Peterson and it's kind of like, Oh, that's, uh, that's interesting. Let me take another extra look at TCU and, and, uh, the rest, I guess it's history. I apply and get in and go and here I am. But, um, you know, I, I guess, did you, did you have a favorite? I think it's, it's pretty clearly and obviously the correct answer is the Dawson interception. Yeah. You know, I, so just a little, background on me i went to tcu uh started in 2012 uh so right as tcu was getting into the big 12 graduated in 2016 so enjoyed some very very successful football seasons and i was in the stands obviously in the student section for that 2014 game when tcu got the huge upset i was among the thousands who rushed the field dang near broke my ankle in my cowboy boots jumping down onto the field afterward. But um, that, that game is, I think about, you know, three or four moments in athletics throughout my time in college that I'll always remember. The first one was my freshman year. 
uh, when TCU basketball beat Kansas, you know, and that was essentially like the 16 seed beating the one seed. Another, probably the only time in my life I'll ever rush a basketball court. Um, That's one I'll always remember. Number two is the upset win over Oklahoma. And then number three is the the Alamo Bowl comeback uh, against Oregon, because that was my senior year. Um, I remember being so discouraged about Trevon Boykin getting arrested for getting in the yep. altercation with that bike cop and my family and I, we have friends over, it's over the, uh, winter holiday and, you know, down 31, nothing at halftime. You know, I, I'm despondent. I'm, I'm like dang, dang near <laughs> fully checked out. And then, you know, we get a field goal and then some, some good fortune, breaks our way with with uh vernon vernon adams was that his name vernon adams the quarterback yeah the quarterback for oregon yes he goes down they lose their starting center and then it just turns into a complete cluster for the ducks and we come back and and win that game those are the three things i'll always remember but getting back on oklahoma yeah the, the paul dawson intercept seeing it live um and being able to reflect on on all of that was was amazing i remember that final row of the game where Trevor Knight is just launching that Hail Mary into the corner of the end zone and you have hundreds of students on the rail getting ready to, to jump over and you're just looking at the football and you're just like please 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 and that that's <laughs> and you know what TCU Oklahoma is another one that it's always seemed to be competitive um some some very close games in the Big 12 and I don't expect this one to be any different. I think uh, both teams have the ability to score a lot of points. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited for it. Like you said, it's an opportunity for uh, TCU fans to show up and show up big. And I think, uh, I think that the fans, the home fans are going to, are going to show up and um, it's going to be a raucous environment. You know, Oklahoma travels well, so. Yeah, for sure. And and our next question was about, you know, Oklahoma always has superstar athletes and, and you know, had like three straight Heisman candidates and all of that. Um, and there was one that stood out the most as absolutely torching and, and torturing TCU and TCU fans um, in Baker Mayfield. And, you know, I, I put the question to the fans of, is Baker Mayfield the the number one player, uh, definitely not person. Uh, there's, there's a former coach from Waco. That's definitely the most hated person, but, um, the player that, you know, kind of TCU fans disliked the most. And again, I was surprised, but Baker Mayfield just ran away with this one. Um, as, as the most disliked player, uh, you know, I thought maybe RG three from Baylor, um, but no, no, it was it was all Baker, and you know people still remember how, you know, the way he he threw a football and it like in the warmups and knocked Nico Small like in his head as he's like recovering from a concussion, like you know whether or not that was intentional or it doesn't matter. He you know he's he's just that kind of guy. So I don't know that. I was interested to see that that frog fans do still hold that that kind of animosity towards him even these years later. Yeah, and I, and I think um, just because it, the, he had yeah. the you know they 
they had TCU's number on top of that. And, you know, in addition to the Nico Small incident, I think it was 2000 and what was it 2015 where Gary and Boykin thought that Baker was stealing signs because this is when he transferred oh, right, from. Because right. remember, Baker Mayfield started at Texas Tech and then transferred mm-hmm. to Oklahoma and. Uh, supposedly he was on the sidelines. Obviously he wasn't playing because he was not eligible, but uh, was relaying signs that he had known, and there was all that drama, which, you know, that that is what it is. But ba- Baker was, l- listen, he was a really, really good college quarterback and a guy who, you know, obviously played with a little bit of a, a, a chip on his shoulder, regardless of how he manufactured that chip, you know, he, he looked for a way to, to motivate himself and motivate his teammates. Um, even if it was through stuff like that. So, um, I wasn't too surprised with that just because he was so successful against TCU. And I think when you, when you combine those two factors, it's not just the fact that he played with, uh, a bit of cockiness to his game, but he was also very good had a lot of weapons and yeah. was very successful against the frog. So when you're, when you're losing over and over again to someone like that, it can, it can stir the, the loins up a little bit. That's for sure. Yeah. He, he talked all that trash, but he, he definitely backed it up against TCU and pretty much everybody else that, that they played. All right. The, the last question I had for the fans was, you know, with Oklahoma leaving for the sec at an, undetermined time could be next year could be two years from now we don't know yet but um obviously leaving the conference will this be oklahoma's last trip to amon g carter stadium to take on the horn frogs um the the consensus from from the public was yes this is it this is the last time we'll see oklahoma in fort worth in the stadium um you know there's it's possible Oklahoma still in the conference two years from now, maybe next year it's a, it's a game in Norman. And then, and really who knows how the schedule is going to look once we have the other four teams into the conference. Um, but it's possible they come back then it's possible TCU hosts a playoff game that, that Oklahoma in this future playoff world that, that will eventually come down that Oklahoma would have to come to, to Fort Worth. Um, and then I kind of tongue in cheek said it's possible they come visit Amon G Carter for an armed forces bowl. Maybe that's, <laughs> that's a bowl game. They have to come and play in sometime. Um, but, you know, I think w- we have been very focused on this season and, and the excitement for the frogs this season, but it is, it's kind of crazy that we're getting to this point where we may never see the Sooners play a game in Fort Worth again. Yeah. You, uh, you hope it's not, I personally hope it's, it's not the last time we see Oklahoma just because I, like I said, I feel like it's always a very good game. It's never overly one-sided and you know, Oklahoma is going to bring in a quality team every year. So it's, it's always an opportunity to show how good of a team TCU has. And, um, you know, whether or not Texas and Oklahoma are going to take the buyout, I, I, I feel like they would just because it's going to be a short term loss but you're going to make that money back real quick going going to the sec so um it wouldn't surprise me if it's the last time i for the uh putting my frog hat on i hope it's not but um if it is hopefully the fans show up and and uh cheer for for the frogs with that 
mindset that this could be the last time and make it a a, a memorable experience. Send them out with a yeah. loss. Yeah. All right, let's get into into this game matchup here. Um, what what is it that you see from TCU that that they'll look to take advantage of to um, to take a win from Oklahoma here? You know, I think they have to look at what Kansas State was able to do uh, last week, and they they exploited them in the run game. and And I think when you look at TCU's offense now, you have so many different options with with the way with the way Darius Davis is playing, with the way Kenray Miller has run the ball. You know, Max Duggan is capable of making plays with his legs, even though he didn't do it last week. You have a variety of ways with, with which you can run the football. You can run quarterback power. You can run a read option. You can run jet sweeps. Uh, you can get very creative with how you run the ball. Um, you know, Hopefully the offensive line is healthy and you can get back to your normal rotation for the, for the Oklahoma game. But I think uh, that's something I'll look for TCU to do from the start, and that's establish the run um, through, through a variety of ways. And they're going to challenge Oklahoma's – defensive front just based off of what I saw last week um a, a defense that that struggled to make plays in space um once Adrian Martinez or Deuce Vaughn had a full head of steam they weren't catching either of those two guys and I think that's going to be the same case for for these TCU skill players so I think you're going to see TCU try to run the ball early um again I, I it's kind of a cliche but you bring up the turnover margin these are two quarterbacks in Max Duggan and Dylan Gabriel who have not turned the ball over you know this season so um, the defense the secondary we know is going to be tested um, some better skill talent Marvin Mims is going to be a, a tough player to slow down Oklahoma's run the ball pretty well so um, they're they're gonna have to find a way to to steal a, a possession or two to, to win this game. So those are some things I'm going to be looking out for. Yeah, definitely. And and you hit on the running game, but I think also uh, you said that getting players into space and forcing this Oklahoma defense to make tackles, to make stops. And I think that's, you know, TCU has Darius Davis and, and all these skill players where with the ball in their hands, they can, make magic happen and if if Duggan is able to get some of those little quick hitters to to Barber or Davis or or anyone else that give them a little bit of field and force the Oklahoma defense to to make tap tackles and and not give up yards after catch yards after contact um that's that's a way to exploit that and um I'm really hoping also to see Quentin Johnston really let loose. Um, we haven't seen much from him thus far this season. He's he's been held down pretty well by by opposing defenses. Um, some of that may be game plan, game flow. You know, against Tarleton State, he may have played one series, and you know the game's already over. He doesn't he doesn't need to go put his his body on the line and his season on the line against Tarleton State. But um, I think here against Oklahoma on the national stage, we saw it last season. He, he put on a show and, and absolutely ate against, um, against that defensive backfield. So I, I, I think we might see some of that as well. Um, I certainly hope he, he has another kind of re-breakout, his breakout game of this season 
because uh, we haven't gotten that one yet. Um, and yeah, we've touched on it on the defensive side. I think, goodness, they got to get pressure and contain Gabriel. I, I'm I'm pretty worried about his wheels. I, I feel like every chance that TC, I can envision a world where TCU gets a couple of early, uh, you know, as, uh, gives up a couple yards on first down, gets an incomplete pass, second down, and then Gabriel just scrambles for a first down mm-hmm. on third. Um, I could see a lot of drives being extended that way, and that's the kind of thing that um, when you can't get this offense off the field, they are going to put up points. Um, so containing him and containing uh, minimizing th- those drives, get those drives over quickly, um, get TCU's offense back on the field and, and start pounding on that defense and just uh, wear them out. That that's, that's what I hope to see. Um, and yeah, I mean, Oklahoma, we know they have all the talent in the world. Um, I, I do think, Brent Venables and this coaching staff is, is strong and, and is on the right track. So, I, you know, it's, I don't know that there will be a lot of things to really exploit here. There's, there's not a lot of weaknesses for, for this squad. Um, so yeah, it, it's going to be, make sure those red zone trips for your, for the TCU offense turn into touchdowns and that, the red zone trips for Oklahoma turn into field goals or, or turnovers. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, maybe there'll be some magic from Darius Davis in the, in the special teams game. Um, But like always, yeah, getting them off the field, whether it's turnovers or even, even surrendering field goals to this Oklahoma team is, is going to feel like a win a lot of times. Yeah. And you bring up Quentin Johnston. um, I think a lot of that, he hasn't, really gone off but that's also because they've gotten TCU's gotten a lot of different guys involved and I believe uh against SMU TCU I want to say had 10 or 11 guys catch at least one pass or get at least one target so that's been really the theme over these first three games is I think over each of the first three games TCU has had 10 or more guys uh catch at least one ball so they've been able to spread the field around and spread spread the ball around a little bit. But this is a game against a ranked opponent uh, in conference play where you do need your stars to show up. So I, I do expect uh, Quentin Johnson to get a, a greater share of the targets. I think Savion Williams uh, and Darius Davis have obviously earned their share as well, just based off of, you know, how they've, they've played so far. And then, um, you know, one thing we haven't talked about is just time of possession. Um, sometimes keeping a a really potent offense off the field is just by being able to maintain and extend long drives. Um, you know, I was watching the the Cardinals Rams game over the weekend. Not to go off on a quick tangent here, but you know, the Rams have one of the better offenses in the league, and even though Arizona lost the game they had the ball for, I want to say, over 30 minutes in the game. And in the second quarter, for example, they had a drive that went 10 minutes. And even though they settled for three, you're keeping an offense off the field for a long time, which could make it difficult to get into a rhythm when you're just not out there. So that's another thing that could be accomplished by running the football for, for TCU. If they're able to run the football really well, you're taking time off the clock. You're keeping those talented playmakers off the field 
And and just one last little note, you talked about Dylan Gabriel uh, potentially being a, a threat in the run game. I'll be curious to see if TCU keeps a spy on him for most of the game, um, whether it's D. Winters or uh, Jamoy Hodge or Johnny Hodge is one of those linebackers. Um, I feel like they're gonna they're gonna have a spy on him for for most of the game just because uh, if they do send multiple linebackers and blitz, you you have to hope that your DBs are obviously winning some of those one on one matchups. But if he does escape the pocket. A lot, a lot of field, of field to work a lot of field with. to go run yeah, into. So yep. I'm interested to see how, how that shakes out. Maybe TCU doesn't blitz as much. Maybe they are happy with just sending three and playing a, a, a zone or a combination of zone and man. And um, it'll, it'll be exciting for sure. Um, beginning our, our slate of back-to-back 11 a.m kickoffs they announced kansas is going to be 11 a.m hopefully we don't get too many of these moving oh forward. did they i missed that oh man already yeah, come already on 11 a.m uh, <laughs> okay well all right let's let's close our uh our preview here with the, with the prediction what what's your final score what do we see yeah so I'm gonna I'm gonna toot my own horn a little bit here because last week I said 41 to 30. Toot away, absolutely. 41 34 frogs over SMU is my prediction last week, which, um, you know the the game sort of played out exactly how I how I thought it would. But uh, what's the spread here? It's TCU uh, is six and a half point dogs. What's the total uh, points? 68 and a half was was what I saw last night. 68 and a half. Okay. Um, I, I, I'm going to take the under there just because I, I think they're going to be enough stops on the defensive end. Um, but I'm going to go with TC. I'm going to go with TCU every week. I'm just putting it out there now. I don't care if they lose. I'm going <laughs> to go with the frogs every week. This is the frogs of war podcast. Okay. This is not the, uh, you know, smart gambling podcast or the, you know, make the right pick necessarily podcast. This is we're we're. This is the frog fans exactly. here. So I'm going to go uh, TCU 34, Oklahoma 31. I think TCU uh, covers the spread, but we're not going to get over 70 points. That's my that's my prediction. Very conservative, like last week, but that's that's how I'm going to that's how I'm going to roll with this. I like it. I like it. I think uh, you know this is one of those. I I don't think. Uh, TCU wins a blowout. I don't think Oklahoma wins a tight game. So I think it's either Oklahoma wins big, big, uh, two scores at least, or or TCU gets a gets a close win. So I'm I'm gonna go with TCU gets a close win. And um yeah, let's see. Give me uh Give me thirty-one twenty-eight. It's a it's a slower defensive battle. Uh, I I definitely am with you on the under. This the marketplace is not. It, this number has been going up, and and I you know it it may have already crossed over sixty-nine or sixty-nine and a half at this point. But um, you know, let me. I'm just gonna pull it real quick. Yeah, we're up to sixty-nine on the uh, on the total. So nice total there, yes. and yeah. we're uh, <laughs> we're. I, I still, I still think that's where the money's going. People, 
people are seeing a lot of points here, but I think these defenses are pretty strong no, no matter how good the offenses are here. I think TCU can hold some and Oklahoma can too. So I, give me a lower scoring game, 31-28. Frogs come away with the win. I like it. We're both thinking very uh, very similar predictions. Hopefully we see uh, a reflection in that result this weekend. All right, just to wrap things up here, uh, before we let everyone go, we've got um, some big games in the Big 12 this week, um, starting with Texas Tech at Kansas State. Two teams that with uh, big surprise wins last week. So this this ends up being a, a pretty significant game in the Big 12 race uh, towards getting to the conference championship. The winner here uh, you know, goes to 2-0 and in the conference. Um, Kansas State's a big home favorite, eight points. Uh, what do you think? Do you think the Raiders can can take down Kansas State in Manhattan? Absolutely. I think the the Big Twelve has so much parity right now that a, a lot of times I don't even really consider what happened the week before because every team is so evenly matched. I think Texas Tech has shown. I mean, beating Houston in a close game. And, and obviously beating Texas, that they can compete against anybody. Donovan Smith has been a very explosive playmaker for that offense, but you have a Kansas State team that goes from losing against Tulane to going on the road and beating a top-10 team mm-hmm. in the country. So that's just, I guess, the nature of college football sometimes. But um, I definitely think Texas Tech can, can win that game. Um if Donovan Smith can avoid turning the ball over, I, I think they'll have a great chance. So um, that I, I can see that game. I can see so many of these games just coming down to the wire. Every, every yeah, game could I, go either I, way. I hate to just yeah. be like, oh, he's just playing it conservative. But I, I legitimately believe that a lot of these teams in the Big 12 are, and especially now with Kansas being 4-0, and and Iowa State plays Baylor tough. They beat Iowa earlier in the season. Kansas State goes on the road and beats Oklahoma, and they beat Missouri by 28 points. So there's the, the Big 12 has shown a lot in some of these Power Five uh, crossover matchups, and there's there's it's it's there's so much parity there. There's no off weeks, and a lot of these teams are so evenly matched. So um, I'm gonna go ahead and take Kansas State just because they're playing at home and they're having a lot to build on, but I think it's going to be a very close game. Yeah, I think it's Kansas State and Kansas State big. I think Texas Tech is uh, going to still be walking with a hangover from the the Texas win, and having to travel makes that even more difficult. Give me, yeah, give me the, uh, the Wildcats big uh, to cover that eight-point spread. Um, all right, so speaking of close games, yeah, Oklahoma State-Baylor uh, is is a huge game. Number nine, Oklahoma State, 16, Baylor. Baylor's favored by two at home. Uh, obviously, the last time they played in the Big 12 championship came down to inches at the goal line to give Baylor the win. Um, yeah, again, I have no idea what's going to happen in this game, but it's it's going to be – it's going to be well played, and it's going to be really close. I my pick, I I I still think Baylor is being underrated. Their loss at BYU is um, 
not a bad loss. That's that's a fine loss. I don't I don't like picking Baylor to do well in anything, but I do think um, that they can come away with this game um, in in that toilet bowl stadium this weekend. <laughs> yeah, I think this is a matchup with uh, with two quarterbacks that I think you could describe as being sort of hot and cold at times. Um, Blake Shapin and Spencer Sanders both have had really good performances and very inconsistent performances. I think Spencer Sanders, though, he's he, he's so dynamic that he's going to he, he provides more challenges for, for Baylor's defense than I think Blake Shapin and the Bears uh, do for the Cowboy defense. I think, you know, coming off, I believe Oklahoma State's coming off a bye week, so uh, they're going to be well-rested for this game. Um, and Baylor coming back against a, a physical Iowa State team. Um, I like Oklahoma State in this matchup just because I think um, it's going to come down to the two quarterbacks and I think Spencer Sanders is going to make enough happen to help the Cowboys get that win. All right. Glad we disagree on some of these. So next is Iowa State a favorite at undefeated Kansas. Um, I still I, I don't understand what the marketplace or, or prognosticators see in the Cyclones. Um, nothing that they've done – thus far in this season makes me think that they can go into Lawrence and stop this Kansas team that's, that's been playing so well. Um, you know, I think the line scares me because that means somebody does see that. Um, and maybe it's something I'm missing or, you know, I'm just, I, I've been fully under the spell of this, this interesting Jayhawk season, but, uh, I'm not seeing it. Give me the Jayhawks. Um, Jalen Daniels goes wild and Iowa state's got got nothing to stop him. I'm going to go with Kansas as well. I think Kansas is the way the Kansas offense has been rolling to start the season. I know Iowa state is a team that they play very physical and they can win grimy, you know, dirty football games, not like dirty in a cheap way, just like they they win they grind win, it out. yeah they win grinders they win tough games um could i see that happening this weekend yes i can uh just because they they play very physical football but i think the way kansas has been rolling um not much has slowed that offense down and they've taken good care of the football as well which has been uh very uncharacteristic for a, for a jayhawk team so I, I i'm on the kansas hype train for sure right now i want them to be 5 and 0 when when they face TCU, that's my that's my hope. Like it. Last game in the Big Twelve is West Virginia at Texas. Um, the Longhorns are a nine and a half point favorite at home, and potential that Quinn Ewers might come back for this game. Um, West Virginia gets a little bit of a rest, having played their game on uh, Thursday last week. So, still, I think Texas takes this and and covers the spread. Um, they bounce back and and they don't let this season completely fall apart just yet. Um, I think you know I, there there have been Texas teams in the past where lose a game like last week in Lubbock and just decide the season's over and they pack it up and and you know maybe start preparing for the NFL draft or whatever it is that 
that Texas players do. Um, I don't think it's too early in the season, I think, for that to happen, especially they can just blame it all on Quinn Ewers not being in that game. And, well, if Ewers had played, we would have won. We would have beat Alabama if Ewers had played the whole game, blah, blah, blah. They can talk themselves into that. And that's enough to, to keep them on track and motivated to, to go out and take down a Mountaineers team that, despite winning this past week, has been pretty disappointing and lackluster in, in all aspects. I am going to go with West Virginia in this game. I'm going with West Virginia because right. I like what I've seen from JT Daniels this season. I mean, you, you, he's been good. You put the, the, the late pick against Kansas aside, he's put up some very good numbers and you know, going on the road against Virginia Tech, I know Virginia Tech's been struggling, but you go on the road, put up 33 points. In a, That's a very tough place to play, yeah, too. Yeah, it's a, you know, the, the Black Diamond Trophy game. I think West Virginia has a lot of balance offensively. They have multiple backs who can carry the ball 15, 20 times a game. JT Daniels has experience. They have a, a big-time receiver in Bryce Ford Wheaton. Um, Texas obviously can run the ball very well also. And if they do have Quinn Ewers back for that game, that's a huge difference maker for them. But I, I feel like West Virginia is going to come in, uh, with a, with some, with some swagger. I think they're going to come in with an edge having started the season so poorly. And I think the coaching staff and the players alike in that locker room understand that they, they got to put the pedal to the metal and, and, really start to turn this season around and that can continue. Obviously they want to build off of what they did against Virginia tech, but that's, it's something that can be a huge lift for, for that team and that fan base if they can come down uh, and get this win. So I'm, I, I like West Virginia in that game. I like it. And yeah, I mean, there's West Virginia now has seen that this Texas giant is is not so giant and can be slayed. And uh, I think Texas is dealing with some, some big time injuries as well. It's, it's possible Xavier worthy is out. Um, So yeah, I think uh, you're right on. There's, there's a, an opportunity for West Virginia to go and get a big, big time win that, that could save Neil Brown's job there. Um, Let's see. That's it for the big 12. We've already gone over, over an hour here. Um, I don't know that we need to hit too much of the national games. Let's see here. I think, um, I think the one I'm most interested in is Kentucky and Ole Miss. Ole Miss is a home favorite, um, by a touchdown, but two teams in the top 15 competing for, for some, I, I think, potential for special season the the winner of this game really puts themselves on track to take on the the bigger dogs in their uh respective sides of the sec um so i i'm really just intrigued by that game i think Ole miss has looked pretty good this season against maybe not the best competition but i think seeing them in this test here with kentucky um, and Kentucky, I mean, Will Levis continues to get um, NFL draft buzz, and uh, true freshman Barry Brown has been really strong. So I think um, just an interesting game that that could have some some pretty good influence on how the rest of the season plays out. Anything for you on the national s- stage this week? Um, you know that that Kentucky Ole Miss game, I'll touch on because 
I want to root for the TCU guys, Kari Coleman and, and Zach Evans w- with Ole Miss. But also on the note of Kentucky, I got to shout out my Northern Illinois Huskies playing Kentucky close last week. Uh, NIU is from uh, DeKalb, which is about 15, 20 minutes from where I live. Uh, been to a couple ah. Husky games and the MAC conference being well represented. NIU played them tough. I mean, it was tied 14 to 14, I believe, at halftime and. NIU star receiver went down with a it was either a knee injury or an Achilles before the start of the oh. season and I believe they were playing with their backup quarterback too because Rocky Lombardi is a Michigan State transfer as their starter right I don't believe he played in that matchup but uh, I, I was happy to see that just the local team uh, going out there and, and playing real tough against a, a ranked SEC opponent um, of course Kentucky another good story a team that uh, his, you know, these last several years has struggled a bit in football, but starting to pick up some momentum. Um, Ole Miss, though, I think when you have these SEC uh, East versus West matchups, I, I usually roll with uh, those teams in the West. So I'm going to go with Ole Miss in, in this matchup. I think they're going to run the ball really well. I'm with you. Okay. Uh a lot of excitement this week. Um, looking forward to the big game in Amon G. Carter Stadium. Again, uh, Saturday morning, 11 a.m., ABC. Um, we hope to see some fans out there. Hope to see it all decked out in purple. Um, it's going to be a wild time. And hope to see a Horn Frog victory. Uh, look, to, look for our predict- predictions to, to come true yet again. Um, TCU to, to go out and uh, continue to be undefeated would, would be huge uh, going into the big contest at Kansas the following week. So um, I think that's going to be all for us this week. Um, thank you guys for, for sticking with us and listening. Um, go check out everything on frogsofwar.com. We've got all kinds of fun um pieces and discussion points up there uh this week and through the game day um go enter the conversation join us in the game thread there um on game day it's a fun time chopping it up with with fans discussing how the game's going you know sharing all our anxieties and and excitements and all of that there is is fun and um follow us on twitter at frogs of war um that's all I've got. Go Frogs. Yes, sir. How go, about you, Russ? Go Frogs. Follow us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Frogsofwar.com. Get up early. It's going to be an early morning. So get get to the tailgate. Get to the stadium. Do what you got to do. Get in the stadium. Yeah, get stadium. in the stadium early. I know yes, this. Pack that stadium. And, and I, want, I want to see a great crowd. I, obviously, I wish I could be there. Um, let, let, let's give... Let's give everybody a show. I, I want to see a good football game, and I want to see the fans show up and and support this football team. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Exciting week ahead. Uh, thanks, everybody. Go Frogs. Stay safe. Frogs.